0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations.
1: Well, welcome back to Weekly Tech, a podcast of ethics, theology, and philosophy in a technological society. Weekly Tech is a project of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can subscribe now at JasonThacker.com slash Weekly Tech today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Evan Lino of Mississippi College and Dr. Mark Leerbach of Southeastern Seminary. We talk about their new book, Ethics as Worship, The Pursuit of Moral Discipleship. Dr. Evan Lino serves as the Director of Church and Ministry Relations at Mississippi College. He also serves as the Director of the Clinton Extension of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Prior to arriving at Mississippi College, he serves as an Associate Professor of Ethics and directed the Land Center at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Texas. He earned a doctorate of philosophy and Christian ethics from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Dr. Mark Lederbach serves as a professor of theology, ethics, and culture, the vice president for student services, and the dean of students at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He holds a Ph.D. from the University of Virginia and is the author of several books, including True North, Christ, the Gospel, and Creation Care. And now let's join our conversation. Dr. Lino and Dr. Lederbach, thank you so much for joining me today here on Weekly Tech. As we get started, Dr. Lederbach, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the vision behind this project and why you all wanted to come together to write a volume like this?
0: Sure. Yeah, thanks, Jason. First of all, just thank you for having us on the show, and uh, it's a pleasure to be able to talk about this. I would say that really, in many ways, when you're a professor, some of these ideas percolate in your mind for decades at a time, and for us... Evan was a student at Southeastern when we first got us started thinking about these ideas together. And one of the things we noticed in our field, the field of ethics is a couple of things actually, uh, one of them is is that a lot of people who are trained theologians and Bible scholars speak to ethical issues. But the field of ethics itself is a it's an academic field that has special training. And one of the things we noticed a lot of the times in our field is that people speaking to the issues were well biblically informed. But oftentimes hadn't taken a a lot of time to think through the ethical formulation of how to get to good answers along the way. And I think also coupled with that, it was a lot of the textbooks over the last 20 years, um, there wasn't a, a series of new ones that were coming out that were kind of updating some of the questions being asked. And so those two things got us started thinking about writing a textbook in the first place. But I think the overwhelming piece that we wanted to bring, which is reflected in the title of our book, is. We wanted to have a thoroughgoing theocentric approach to this that was going to be very crystal clear on the gospel message and on Scripture as our primary source of authority. And while a lot of other textbooks have the same goal for them, we really wanted to order the whole thing around the idea of worship and bringing maximal glory to God in everything that we do. Um, And, of course, that then pertains to the field of ethics.
2: Yeah, so the the other side of that as well is kind of the thinking through— a lot of the textbooks kind of Mark and I were looking at and even using as we uh, were teaching the class or the classes at our respective schools approached the discipline from a particularly deontological approach. So it was all about duties and rules. And so it was one of these you just got to you just do these things. And while we hold to a, a form of deontological ethics, our, our primary driver is uh, virtue. And and looking at ethics as a virtue system that's informed by the deontology, not not just a strictly deontological approach. And so a lot of the textbooks that had come out over the last 20 or 30 years addressed it from strictly deontological ethics. And so we wanted to add that flavor to what we're doing, which we feel is is somewhat unique um, of looking at it from a deontological virtue standpoint rather than just strictly deontology. Yeah, that's one of the things that
1: about your volume that I really enjoyed is that especially as of probably the last couple decades, and you all would know better than I would even, is to me we are starting to see kind of a reinvigoration, kind of a, a rejuvenation in Christian ethics, especially within the evangelical tradition. We're starting to see more works being produced like y'all's and some others uh, that are coming out that have been really helpful, especially because within the evangelical tradition, we haven't seen as much uh, ethical reflection. We see a lot of theology, uh, rich theology, deep theology. But as you kind of mentioned early on, Mark, um, there's a lot of theologians, trained theologians, who are talking about ethical issues but often don't have some of the categories or trained in kind of the ethical formulations. So that was one of the reasons I was excited to see your book be coming out, especially with that more focus on kind of the virtue approach. Um, As we get into some of these questions, early on in the book, you all referenced kind of two ruts that we can fall into when we study ethics. We can be kind of often about questions of uh, how morality is invented or if it's simply proclaimed. Can you talk about these kind of two ways that maybe traditionally evangelicals have approached ethics and some of the strengths and weaknesses, but kind of what is, in your opinion, the better way forward?
0: yeah. One of the things that really frustrates us about folks when they come into some of our classes or when we interact with folks at our home churches is that oftentimes the field of ethics is depicted, Evan used the word earlier, deontology, which means really in layman's terms, more of kind of rule keeping approach to it. So if you can determine a rule from the scriptures and just simply obey it, that that's really what ethics is. um, that's on the one hand. And so we tend, if that's the focus, we tend to kind of breed a lot of evangelical Phariseeism where people are are basically do-gooders. On the other hand, we're in a culture right now where really over the last 50 years, but really it's accelerated in the last decade, where there's a there's an overturning of the sense of something being objectively true. And so what our culture likes to think about is not truth and trying to know truth and be aligned with truth but rather being true to ourselves or trying to be primarily authentic no matter what our belief is. And so we have the, we have the one possibility of, of really kind of falling into a personal relativism as long as I'm true to myself or kind of this rigid system of here's a rule and I have to keep it no matter what. And what we're trying to do in the text of Scripture is recognize that what the Scriptures give us is an opportunity for us to know the living God and to be in right relationship with him and Jesus tells us himself, and Paul does too in Romans 8, that we should be conformed to the image of God. So we as Christ's followers want to be like Jesus, and so we develop virtues. But crucially to what Evan was talking about is that the only way to know how to rightly form a virtue is to look at the scriptures for those commands so that the commands teach us how to obey, but not just obey for the sake of obedience, obeying so that we become a different kind of person who then maximally glorifies God. So we're trying to find a middle ground between uh, a kind of a rigid Phariseeism and a, not just a be true to yourself, but rather be true to the God of the universe while you form your character. And
2: so that's kind of where we're looking in the book. And so we kind of land then with this whole idea, you know, you talked about morality, whether it's invented or or just proclaimed, you know, we, we land with this, that it's discovered because God has, the source of morality. God is the source of ethics. And so there, there is an objective standard um, that is God's character. And so as we learn more about God, as we discover who God is that he's revealed to us uh, through his word, through general revelation, then we discover more of what his intention is for who we are to be, and which then impacts what we do. I know one of the sections that I
1: really enjoyed in the book, especially you don't see in a lot of ethics textbooks, is a discussion about ethical worldviews, about how worldviews shape and form kind of how we go about thinking about the world, who we are, who God is, and kind of how this world is structured. And I think often when we talk about worldviews, it's kind of taught in a theological context instead of an ethical context. So first, in the book, how do you define the concept of a worldview, and then how does the worldview relate to the study of Christian ethics and how we engage with various kind of secular understandings of ethics around us? So I know that's kind of a meaty question, but kind of what is a worldview, and then how does that apply to how we study Christian ethics specifically?
2: So the specific way we define worldview in our book is we're saying that a worldview is this conceptual framework that's made up of our fundamental beliefs and loves. And that framework then functions as the means which we use to perceive, interpret, and judge reality and thus driving how we behave in that reality. And so that's the it's kind of the the overall picture of what we of what we do with the worldview. And then and then we look at it through various components. And so those components of worldview include things like metaphysics, epistemology, anthropology, theology, and axiology. And so we walk through those things. So, you know, with metaphysics, what is the nature of reality? Epistemology, how do we know things? Uh, with anthropology, we're looking at the nature of, of human beings. Um, we get to theology and we're studying the nature and character of God. And then, and then we finish with axiology um, which is looking into uh, the nature and practice of what is good and evil or right and wrong. And, and so that's, you know, in the field of ethics, that's kind of where the, the rubber meets the road on the worldview question. Yeah,
0: I think also it's really helpful for us. If you put this in layman's terms, one of the things we're trying to help people think through is, is how does your underlying belief actually impact the way that you're you're acting and living in the world? And so one of the metaphors we oftentimes use to think about this is, That everybody has a worldview, but the problem is, Jason, not everybody knows what their worldview is. And so the worldview shows up in their behaviors. And a good metaphor to think about this is like having a puzzle and all the little puzzle pieces are all the different ideas that we have about how best to live. And the problem is it's when you try to put a complicated puzzle together and you don't have the box top, it's hard to know which pieces fit well and how to put them together coherently. So the field of ethics and what the scriptures are giving us is the box top by which we can then order the way that we not only understand our world, but shape the loves we have for the things in the world. And once those become clear, then we can try to piece together what's the right or proper or good behavior that matches this worldview that God wants us to hold. It's also good for us to think about worldviews in terms of kind of almost like the lenses of our eyes by which we view the world. And so if someone has a a fundamental idea that God is the Star Wars force, that's going to be very different than the God who was incarnated and lived as a baby and grew up to be a man who never sinned. And so those underlying beliefs will shape the way they kind of work themselves out in the day-to-day choices
1: people make. Yeah, I think the way that you all structured the book is really helpful. You kind of start with part one, getting into the basis of Christian ethics, kind of framing these things up, talking about worldviews, and then you shift into three parts. You start talking about the basis of Christian ethics in part one, and then shift over to kind of a formation of meta-ethics and kind of exploring some of the questions there before shifting over to normative ethics. And then finally, kind of getting to what I think a lot of people expect out of an ethics textbook is walking through some of the various issues, ranging from war, abortion, euthanasia, justice. So, as we want to dig in maybe to that first part, can we talk a little bit about what is metaethics and how that helps us to think about kind of mapping out the contours of Christian ethics? Sure. Yeah, I
0: think it's actually really helpful if when you think about the field of ethics, if you distinguish three different approaches to the field, there's, there's actually a few others, but the three primary ways to do this is what we describe The word you just used, metaethics, and then normative ethics, and then applied ethics. Those are the primary three ways people try to enter into the field. So the way we think about meta-ethics is the deep underlying why reasons. These would be directly related to, in fact, almost completely overlap with a person's worldview, a person's view about God, a person's view about scriptures and how it functions in our life, a person's view about whether human beings are just material or whether we have a soul as well and how those two interact together. So when you ask questions about those deep whys, that's a meta-ethical meta question. Most people f- start, when they ask questions about ethics, start with the normative realm. And what that means is they they look for norms of behavior in the scripture, like thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. And while those are really important to guide our ethical theory, we're making an argument in the book that, that we need to actually have a deeper understanding of those. But then once we develop or identify norms, so then we ask the question, how does this apply to the situation that I'm in? And that's applied ethics. So if I were to work this backwards, Jason, let's say somebody comes to me and says, is it wrong for a Christian to serve in the military? Well, that, that's an applied question. So what we want to do is walk them backwards and ask, well, what does the scripture say? And the scriptures might say something like, thou shalt not murder in the sixth commandment. Well, that's a normative answer. But then we would ask the question, but why does the scriptures hold authority in our life? Or why would the scriptures want us to not murder? And once you do that, then you're asking deeper questions about the nature of God and the way that he's created his world, which is the metaethical. So we're trying to help students realize that if they they can answer the fundamental why questions, that'll help them get to the how-to questions. But if they don't answer the why
2: questions, then the how-to answers can be relative to individuals. Just building on what Mark said, I think the, by building the, those fundamental why questions, it drives the normative ethics deeper. Um, so I, I feel like when you jump into the conversation just at the normative level, and honestly, some people even just try to jump in at the applied level, it creates that shallow, surface-level decision-making on behavior only, which then results in what Mark was talking about earlier, this kind of rigid, pharisaical approach uh, to behavior and so that's why we're, we're keeping the, the big why questions in front in front of the, the readers and, and our students so that they actually develop who they are. At, at the end of the day, it's really a, some of those questions are really discipleship questions. And understanding who we are, who God created us to be, then out of that overflow that behavior and actions and decisions result. So one of the things that's really helpful to think
0: through is Jesus tells us that a tree is known by its fruits. And so if we want to understand the best way to bear fruit, it's to kind of go back to the tree and look at the roots. And that's what we're talking about with our, our belief systems, that we want to have the roots of our ideas and our character formation in place so that the fruit that we're bearing on there. So, again, to give another example, let's say a, a couple is in a really difficult marriage and they're not getting along. And one of them says, hey, I just want to quit this thing. That would be the fruit of their decision. But the reason they decide to hold on and work through this is because they go backwards and say, you know, Jesus is the Lord of the universe and he's given us specific ideas about how to be married. And then even underneath that, marriage itself is a depiction of Christ's relationship with the church. So even if this couple really doesn't like each other and doesn't get along, they may decide based on who Jesus is and what marriage represents They're going to work hard and fight for this marriage and uh, try to carry out good fruit because the roots are in place. And again, that's what we're trying to help people see is that the underlying values that people hold to need to give rise to proper fruits. And without those deeper ideas, it becomes problematic.
1: No, and I think you're exactly right on that. I know kind of shifting over to that part three, which you're focusing on normative ethics. I think often one of the biggest questions I get from whether it's friends or people in my church is, the relationship often between the Old and the New Testament. We've even seen recently on social media a lot of differing understandings of how the Old Testament principles apply in the New Testament context. And often, I think we pit the Old and the New Testament against one another as if they're different type of ethical systems or moral systems. Can you kind of you guys talk a little bit about the relationship between Old Testament and New Testament ethics and how this really fits together under the concept of Christian or biblical ethics?
2: Yeah, so one of the things, you've if you're looking at different ethics textbooks that have come out in the last 15 to 20 years, a lot of them, believe it or not, actually focus on more of an Old Testament perspective. They're using the Ten Commandments as a um, kind of as a structure uh, for building an ethical system. We're trying to utilize both. You know, we're looking at the Old Testament. Uh, we're looking at the New Testament. We're trying to have a, an integrated approach saying, listen, it's not— Old Testament ethics versus New Testament ethics. We're pulling them all together and, and trying to demonstrate what I think what I think the, the Holy Spirit through the authors of Scripture is trying to do is this is a unified whole. And sometimes, you know, and kind of looking at how Jesus interacted with some of the the Ten Commandments or other or Old Testament commands is is really demonstrating it's a you have this command and it has a very specific application. But there, there's a much larger character virtue component underneath, and so we're trying to we're trying to draw that out, utilizing you know an integration of both old and new testament. Um, it's interesting to note when we were looking through our um, kind of scripture index and trying to see what scriptures that we used, uh, we actually found ourselves in Genesis one a lot. If you were to actually try to pull up the, the various passages of scripture, so. We're we're pulling from. Listen, it, this is a unified story of um, or narrative of what God has done, starting at creation, and then working our way through the fall and its impact on uh, on humanity and what that what that means for us, and then God's plan of redemption um, that is covered throughout Old and New Testament, ultimately in the restoration of both humanity and creation in the eschaton is. is God calls all believers to Himself, for, you know, for all of eternity, um, and so we we see this as a as an ongoing narrative that runs throughout the corpus of Scripture. Yeah, Mark, I want to follow up with you there,
1: kind of digging in a little bit more on the relationship between some Old Testament principles, especially lived out in a New Testament type context. I think that's where a lot of folks have kind of. Questions because there are these Old Testament principles that seem at odds in some sense with the New Testament. So how would you encourage listeners as they're thinking through some like Old Testament, New Testament ethics? How how would you encourage, um, are there any principles or kind of methods that you would go about to help us think better about how all this fits together with what Evan was talking about, kind of this grand narrative of Scripture? Yes,
0: that's very helpful. And to redirect it back to that grand narrative is really the first
1: starting place because –
0: We want to recognize that scripture itself is grounded in the nature and character of God. So if that's true, that scripture comes from his character, then by definition, it's impossible for it to conflict with itself. So if we have a lack of clarity about it, it means that the problem is with our perception of it, not with the word itself. And so if we start from that premise that God has revealed something about himself through the scriptures, then what we're looking at is that God's progressively revealing things to his people in a way that can be best understood in light of the context of their times and what's best for them to flourish at those times. So with that in mind, it's important to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and not just cherry pick things as we go through that. And if we understand that God has told a meta story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, then within that we can see that God's giving commands and those commands are reflective of his very nature and his character. But once you do that, once we think about that, that, Jason, and this is why we actually have a whole chapter on how to best use the Bible in Christian ethics, because there's times and places where the scriptures are giving references to particular activities for a particular time. For example, if the people of Israel and ancient Israel were under a theocracy, some of the specifics of how to how to express a commandment, like for example, sexual ethics. God's very clearly wanting his uh, sexual ethics to be based on an understanding of one man, one woman for life in a monogamous marriage. So that's the principle that drives all the way through the Bible from the first pages to the last. But then when you're in a particular culture, maybe a pagan society, or one that's a theocracy, then perhaps maybe an expression of punishment for things that fall out of line with that, maybe relative to that particular culture, like, for example, stoning someone for homosexuality, Whereas in our culture, we might not have the particular application of punishment or penalty for that. But the moral principle doesn't change because it flows from the very character of God himself. And the way that we would know that then is we look in the New Testament and we say, "How? what does Jesus affirm about the nature of sexuality and marriage? And you see all the way through the New Testament, particularly in places like Matthew 19 or then Paul in Romans 1 and other places, reaffirms the creation order understanding of marriage. So while the particular application of a local, if you will, punishment for a crime may change, the moral principle about what God finds acceptable doesn't. But that's fairly complicated stuff. So that's why we've we've dedicated an entire chapter on how to think through proper interpretation skills
1: to apply principles of ethics. Yeah, to shift gears a little bit, kind of going into that last section of the the work, I think often, as I said earlier, when people think of ethics or they think of like an ethics textbook, they think of the last section, kind of that idea of applied ethics. What does this mean in terms of abortion or euthanasia or bioethics or sexuality, marriage, et cetera? And obviously we could spend an entire podcast on one of those issues, much less the 10 or 12 that you all have listed in the book. Um, but there were two in particular that kind of stood out to me because I think often when we have books, ethical textbooks, especially from a Protestant tradition, we spend a lot of time talking about end-of-life issues, abortion, sexuality. All of these are incredibly important, but there were two that you included that you don't often see or always see except uh, exactly in these type of volumes, which was uh, justice and social engagement as well as creation care and environmental stewardship. So I wanted to ask you all why did you include those two? Why are they important? And how did you kind of frame up those issues as you were deciding which ones to include in the volume and which ones uh, not to? Yeah, there's probably a, a couple of reasons we could give for that. I think one of them on the most
0: pragmatic level is that the one of the things that we have deep in our hearts is we, we realize that we're training pastors and missionaries and laypersons to engage our culture And when you just think about what's happened in the last two or three years and what's likely going to be the major issues that people all around the globe are engaging with are issues that relate to um, justice and how do we use and think about justice in our social engagement. And then, of course, uh, even this week, the International Panel on Climate Control with the United Nations just put out a major document about creation care. So obviously, these are issues that are impacting how people globally are thinking and what we're hoping to do is give skill sets for people on how to think about these from a biblical point of view so that they can minister in the world to the very questions people are most poignantly asking at this particular
2: time. So that's how we chose those two topics and included those in there. And particularly related to the justice and social engagement chapter, that there's a reason why it's the first in in part four of the book, because it sets the tone because so many of the other Issues that we're addressing um, in the other chapters are relational. How do we, how do we relate to other people, and then how do we then address these issues within a societal context? And so, if we if we don't get the the justice and social engagement angle right, we're really just talking at people on the other issues. We're not engaging them, and that's where I think a lot of times we we don't do a good job, especially on, on social media, we just kind of lob fiery bombs into a discussion and walk away to watch it burn rather than actually trying to sit down, understand, comprehend, listen. And and that's part of the, the purpose of um, that chapter on justice and social engagement. Say, so, you no, know, we need to step back, we need to listen, we need to engage, we need to understand what's going on and so that we can more effectively communicate on these other issues.
0: Yeah, Jason, I'd like to just, if I could speak to that question specifically on the justice and social engagement chapter, it really has been discouraging in some ways to see how people in our culture are using this word social justice in, in a weaponized form instead of trying to think about how to understand it from a biblical point of view. And so one of the things we're trying to help people see is if you take the idea of, let's say, the word ice cream and then you put on the front of this soy ice cream, and then on the other one, you put dairy ice cream, you realize that people are talking kind of about two different things. The problem isn't the ice cream word, it's what's underneath, what's the source of the ice cream. And one's a plant-based product, one's a dairy or a cow-based product. So what you're really talking about are two very different things. And so with, with the word justice, I think where people miss this and where we need to be really clear is justice is actually an attribute of God. So the source of justice is God himself. And because God is a Trinitarian God, then justice is by definition social. And because the Bible teaches us about it, it is by definition a biblical social justice. But because the word has been so, so carelessly defined and attached to Marxist questions and all, people really misunderstand this word so that as soon as they hear social justice, they're afraid of Marxism. So I think the better way for people to think about this is biblical justice, or if you want to even say biblical social justice versus Marxist social justice. But unfortunately, people are making a distinction between biblical justice and social justice. That's actually, um, it's an equivocation. It's two different ideas. Because the Bible has social justice. So does Marxism have social justice. What we're having to do is do the work of what's the underlying worldview that's driving a desire to have justice in the social realm. So what we try to do in the book is kind of clarify that and make a really clear biblical argument about what the nature of justice is, and then how Christians are meant to have that as a a gospel implication to be engaged with the culture, not a gospel issue. In other words, being involved in the culture is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, which is a justification. And notice that word, it's justice. It's a justification of us. But then the implications of us being justified is that we take the gospel as far as the curse is found and try to align all of creation back to the way God designed it. And that has massive social implications. So that's kind of where we start off that applied section of the book.
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right on that, and that's where – that's the thing that I really liked about the book overall is that you don't just kind of stay in the applied ethics lane. And you also don't just kind of stay in the theory lane is you're bridging and bringing all of these together and helping us to go deeper, often in a society that wants us to go more shallow and kind of these – especially as you mentioned, Evan, with social media is that we often lose charity. We often lose nuance and complexity And when we get into a lot of these ethical questions and ethical debates, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of complexity to many of these issues. And as Christians, we need to, as James tells us, to slow down, uh, be slow to speak um, and quick to listen. And I think that's a principle that I see you all throughout the volume uh, modeling for us, and that's something that I really appreciated about the book. Obviously – At 800 pages, this is not like a quick read for many people. So they're going to be slowing down intentionally to kind of dig in. They might pick up a chapter or two here and there, but really seeing how all this fits together. But one of the things that we always do on the podcast is recommend kind of next steps or next resources. So obviously we want folks to go and pick up this new book, Ethics is Worship. I think it's really important. I encourage you to go slowly through it. But if somebody wanted maybe a shorter introduction or maybe they were talking – you were mentioning metaethics or normative ethics and they were like, oh, that sounds interesting. I've never really thought about that before. Are there one or two volumes that you all would recommend each to kind of as next steps for listeners if they wanted to dig a little deeper?
2: I'll start with one. I know one, um, one book that's uh, written by a friend of ours and a colleague of Mark's, um, David Jones's Introduction to Biblical Ethics. Is a good, you know, much smaller, two hundred and something pages, rather than nearly eight hundred. Is a good uh, introduction to just the concept of, of biblical ethics. We've co- quoted him several times in the in our text, and obviously had lots of lots of conversations through the years uh, with David. And and so that's a that's a good short volume that, that somebody can get their hands on and uh, fairly recent as well. So that's a that's a good one to start with.
0: Yeah, and I would say um, there's a couple that have, are just kind of trend-setting in the in the field. John Frame's Doctrine of the Christian Life is a great volume. Wayne Grudem's Christian Ethics. He doesn't deal with the uh, the systems of ethics like we do, but he's got a lot of, you know, Wayne's a strong theologian. He's got some good thoughts there. David Platt's book, Counterculture, is really helpful for a person who's just scratching the surface and getting in and seeing why some of these issues are important. But one that I want to make sure I mention here is a forthcoming book by another one of my colleagues here, uh, Dan Heimbach. And his forthcoming book, Basic Christian Ethics, is a book that's it's also going to be about 800 pages long. But he takes a little different approach, and it's it's a fabulous volume. I'm really
1: excited for what he's putting forth in it. And we'll definitely look forward to that. And hopefully maybe we can have on the podcast and talk a little bit about it as well. Well, I wanted to thank both of you gentlemen for, one, the important work that you did on this volume. I really do think it's a monumental work. I, I encourage listeners to grab a copy of it. Um, and slowly move through it. But I also wanted to thank you all for taking the time out of your schedules to join us here on Weekly Tech and impart some of this wisdom to us and help us think deeply about a lot of these big pressing issues of our day, especially in relation to technology, which kind of is the foundation or it undergirds so many of the issues that we're dealing with today. So I just appreciate you all taking the time to connect with us today.
0: Jason, thank you so much. This has really been a privilege and it's it's just a joy to have the opportunity to interact with folks and we hope that we can be helpful Uh, in the future. And if anybody wants to contact us via social media, we're pretty easy to find. So uh, we'd be delighted to interact with folks if that opportunity comes up.
2: Jason, we're we're grateful to be on with you and appreciate the work that you're doing and making these resources available to your listening audience.
1: Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoy Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Dr. Lino and Dr. Liederbach and learn more about their book as well as the recommended resources in the show notes. Also, make sure to sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning. This resource is designed to help you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day as well as stay up to date on the latest technology news and resources. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you and I hope you have a great week.